0: Thanks for listening to the Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. All right, man, David, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's nice to be home. Uh, history for me is home is Southwest PA, Uh, grew up just south of Pittsburgh, small community, Periopolis, if you drove down Route 51, you drove through Periopolis, if you blinked, you missed it, so um, that's basically it, it's, you know, uh, honestly, there's nothing on this side of heaven that qualifies me to be doing what I do, okay, Uh, mom's side, three generations of witchcraft, dad's side, three generations of pornography addicts, Uh, I truly don't deserve what I get to do, and yet here I am leading the charge, for next-gen missions in the Assemblies of God. So what's that mean? Uh, I oversee now both BGMC and Speed Light. so let me just break down these programs for you. BGMC, I know that you know about the Buddy Barrel, our kids collect change. I say that, okay, inflation should hit Buddy, and uh, we don't collect change, we collect uh, green now. So uh, encourage your kids to do so. Uh, BGMC provides many different things throughout the years. Uh, We are beginning to morph and change the dynamic of where we're going. Pastor, I heard you talking foster care. For me, the dynamic of BGMC, where I really want to see this thing go, is BGMC is simple. BGMC is kids helping kids, okay? And the conversation we're having right now at headquarters is, can you imagine the dent that we could make in the United States if BGMC took on foster care in the U.S.? Okay, so we have great vision and a great game plan for BGMC, and everything that BGMC has done will continue to do, but our vision has grown, okay? So I really believe that God has called this generation of children to impact the lives of other children across the globe. So we're moving that direction. Speed the light, tagline in the Assemblies of God has been this for 77 years, transportation, communication, compassionate demonstration. We provide vehicles and communication equipment for missionaries, but when I came into this thing, I've been leading the charge now for four years. I came in, and, and everyone's like, yeah, vehicles for missionaries. And I'm like, who's to say what a vehicle is in which the gospel is spread? And I met David and John Bongiorno, and they told me their vision, their passion for World Serve International. And I understood if God could still use a water well in the Bible to reach the community of Samaria, then he can still do it today. That could be the vehicle in which the gospel is spread. So we've gotten behind the banjornos. I was just with David three months ago in Kenya, in Tanzania. I got to see firsthand what these guys are doing, and I will completely back them heart and soul for the rest of my life, okay? So let me just pause and say this. We do have a creative means through these guys to have matching funds. So I talked to Lee Rogers, the district director in the Pendo district, and he said if $5,000 is raised this year for speedlight, that it will be matched dollar for dollar. So go get it, Bailey, all right? So it's there. And again, it's, I find myself in these scenarios all the time. You know, like, just last week, I'm sitting there hanging out with Malcolm Brogdon of the Indianapolis Pacers and, you know, Jack Nicholas Jr. Like, I know David may be used to hanging out with these guys, but I'm not. Like, I'm the guy that goes into the room, and, and I think to myself immediately, one of these things is not like the other one. <laughs> All right? Yep, it's me. All right? Guaranteed, it's me. And yet, I believe that God has placed me strategically in the position that I'm in for this season because he believes not in a program— speedlight bgmc not even in projects clean water he truly does believe that our responsibility while we're here on this earth is to take the gospel to the entire globe i believe with everything in me that through gen z this generation that's currently living on this earth that we will see the gospel of jesus go to the ends of the earth i believe that we've lost track of our end game and that is to get to heaven with jesus Okay. And we hold the ability in our hands and in our bodies to take the gospel across the entire globe. And yet, I see as I travel the nation, churches and individuals living more for tomorrow than eternity. Okay. I want to take responsibility for that. So this morning, I apologize. Pastor, thank you so much for sharing your platform. But like Miley Cyrus, I came in like a wrecking ball. Okay? Okay. Because I travel nonstop last year, I was 270 nights on the road. Truly, because I believe in what God has called our children to do across the globe. And I continue to see God do amazing things. Let me just share some highlights about next gen missions of the Assemblies of God. At the end of 2020, BGMC Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge raised $7,210,814.61. Okay. But at the end of 2021, we saw an increase to $10,364,453.61. A $3 million increase for BGMC given in one year. Speed of light, David kind of hit on it already in 2020. Speed of light was at $10,059,146.61. At the end of 2021, it was $17,253,890.19. Okay. When I saw that number come in the beginning of this year, okay, like everyone at AG headquarters in Springfield, Missouri, okay, the buzz was what was going on in Next Gen Missions. I say it all the time. The greatest thing that's happened in our fellowship in the last two to three decades is this right here, this movement of generosity. Because at the end of 2020, if you could do the math in your head, if not, let me show you, total given for Next Gen Missions was 17269000 $961.20, $961.20, but at the end of 2021, it was $27,618,343, uh, which means that we increased over $10 million combined, BGMC and Speed of the Light. Why? Because we've been able to get the, to the hearts of our churches and our students to help them understand it's not about projects and it's not about programs. Okay, That we truly do have the ability to take the gospel up to the ends of the earth. And what's happening is is we're starting to believe it in such a way in here to where it's flown out of our pockets. That God has given us the creative access to be able to give so the gospel of Jesus goes to the entire earth. And God is doing an amazing thing through Gen Z. Let me remind you who Gen Z is. Gen Z is defined as those born between the years 1995 and 2015. Okay, so I'm watching Jocelyn up here lead, and there's, there, it's no surprise to me to immediately feel the anointing of God that's on her life, okay, as a general Zer, okay? Like, I get excited when I think about this, because in August of 2018, August 1st, 2018, I was speaking for the first time at National Youth Convention, okay, Houston, Texas. I'm on the stage, 7,000 people was in the room. Everyone's like, what was it like speaking to that many people? Listen, I'm, I'm a firm believer. If I can talk to two, I can talk to 2,000, okay? Like, I truly do believe in this thing that's called the gospel. Like, I believe. I bleed this thing. But in that room that night, God used a young lady by the name of Kaylee Trim. She was 18 years of age to come to the platform and give a prophetic word to the room. What's a prophetic word? Let me share. A prophetic word is when God gives someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit a glimpse into our future or our present situation to encourage us. It should call us into destiny. It gives you a sense of is where God sees you in a year, in 10 years or more, and gives you a sense of what and where it will be. It may also give you practical steps on how to get there. A prophetic word gives you hope that one day you'll be out of the place that you're currently, currently in and walking into the promise of that word. So that night, Kaylee Trim makes eye contact with me as the altar time has taken place. She points at me and she asked me to come down off the platform. I said, what's going on? She said, God, give me a prophetic word for the room. Immediately in my mind, I thought to myself, she must think I'm crazy. Like, I'm going to give the microphone to an 18-year-old in a room of 7,000 people. She said, I wrote it down. As I read this word, it was a game changer for me. All of a sudden, I recognized how easy this momentum will be. Okay, Kaylee came to the stage that night. And in that room full of 7,000 people, she read this prophetic word. Be prepared, change is coming. Let me just pause there. Have we seen change in the last three and a half years? Right? You're watching online. Like, whoever thought, like, every church would be having an online platform? Be prepared. Change is coming. I am a God of unconventional ways, and you are a generation of unconventional anointing. I say it again. I'm coming back. Old ways no longer work. That's why I've called you. Church, listen up. An unconventional generation is going to change the world. I say this because there's no precedent to an anointing of this capacity. Change will break in my name, and my name will spread like wildfire. My anointing will pour out like never before. And church, I'm telling you, change is coming, for I'm coming soon. Youth, do not fight the plan that I have for your life, because an unconventional generation can only be reached with an unconventional anointing and outpouring of my spirit. And this is why I called you. So my question to you this morning. Moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas. When you hear that word, what's your response? Okay? Excitement? Fear? Eagerness? Pressure? My guess is that our response hinges on how old we are. I've been sharing this prophetic word relentlessly for the past 1300 apathy. How do you define apathy? Apathy is as follows, a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Apathy. Is it possible that we have lowered our standards and no longer lead in such a way that God is still desiring for the impossible to happen through us and our children? It's time that we raise the bar of the standards of our faith, of our sacrifice, or our expectations of ourselves and of our belief in the goodness and generosity of our God again. God is calling us, hear me, millennials, Xers, and boomers to lead this unconventional generation. Why is this important? Let me give give you some statistics so you know what you're up against. More than one third of Gen Z say they have no religious affiliation. 18% identify as atheist or agnostic. Only 40% say they attend a weekly church service. Only 21% say that they have even read scripture. Do you sense the urgency and the timing of that prophetic word? In 2018, God spoke and then he pushed us into our homes through this thing called (laughs) COVID-19. He gave us an opportunity to be the influencers in our children's lives. Okay. Like I can recall that moment when March 2020 hit and we were all pushed back into our homes. I can remember walking around my neighborhood seeing dads out in their yards playing with their children again. And my prayer as I was walking around my neighborhood was, God, don't let us lose this moment. What did we learn from that and how did it change us? Well, let me share statistics about Gen Z that were taken at the end of 2021. 74% of Gen Z spend their free time online. Gen Z spends eight hours a day online. 73% of Gen Z uses their de- Gen Zers have communications, texting, or chatting. 95% of Gen Zers have a smart device or access to one. Gen Zers make 60% of the TikToks that are created. 41% of them say that Instagram is their preferred brand. 85% use the social media to learn about new products. 42%, this one rocks me, 42% use the social media to influence what they think about themselves. 71% watch more than three hours of online videos. And 45% follow at least 10 influencers on the social media every single week. We, and, and hear me, this, this word, okay, this is only the second time, pastor, that I, I'm preaching this, so I'm gonna stick to my notes. This word is burning in me, okay? I believe that God has given me a voice, an apostolic voice voice to the nation to be able to travel and speak and take up platforms like this every single week because listen to me parents grandparents God's calling us to lead this unconventional generation okay the urgent is rarely the most important but the most important must always be the most urgent our kids have to be the most important things in our lives this is what I've been sensing and this is personal to me let me show you a picture of my family so you can see I have gen z in my house Standing next to me, my son, Matthew, 22 years of age, just accepted back in February his first time, full-time youth pastor position. He moved to Missoula, Montana. In front of him is his wife, Taylor, 20 years of age. She's the kids pastor of that church, Gen Z. Next to my son is my wife, Liz. We've been married. It'll be 24 years this August. I call her my rib. If you have no idea what that means, open up your Bible, read the first few chapters, and you'll get it quickly, okay? Okay. In front of my wife is our youngest daughter, Emma. She'll be 16 this August, but she thinks she's 26, okay? Emma aspires to get a new car, so she's been saving her money, okay? Dad told her, hey, you save it, I'll match whatever you save. I had no idea what she was planning on doing. She's already got five grand saved up, so apparently I'm going to have to come up with five grand to get her a new car. And then in front of me is our middle daughter, Abby. Abby is 20, tender-hearted, kind, okay? In that picture, okay? My children are world changers, Gen Z. For my kids, the hardest thing for me to do was to pack my son up in a moving truck and send him 22 hours away from me, okay? But I looked at my kid, and I told him this, Matthew, James, run, okay? Run into everything that God has for you. Run into the journey that he has waiting for you. Believe that he can see the impossible happen through you. Run, As you can see, I'm responsible for Gen Z in my own household. I understand it. I take responsibility for it. I choose to lead them. And back in November, God brought me to a portion of scripture that just rocked my world. It took me six months to formulate a message around the scripture because I just couldn't get a grip on what God was speaking through it. Okay, I prayed over this thing. Okay, I relented over this thing. And God, this morning, has a word for us, the, to the church. In 2 Kings chapter 13, we read of the account between Elisha and Joash. Here's what it says, starting with verse 14 The prophet Elisha was sick with a fatal disease. And as he lay dying, King Joash of Israel went to visit him. My father, my father, he exclaimed as he wept. You have been the mighty defender of Israel. Get a bow and some arrows, Elisha ordered him. Joash got them, and Elisha told him to get ready to shoot. The king did so, and Elisha placed his hands on the king's hands. Then following the prophet's instructions, the king opened the window that faced towards Syria. Shoot the arrow, Elisha ordered. As soon as the king shot the arrow, the prophet exclaimed, You are the Lord's arrow with which he will win victory over Syria. You will fight the Syrians in Aphek until you defeat them. Then Elasha told the king to take the other arrows and strike the ground with them. The king struck the ground three times and then stopped. This made Elasha angry, and he said to the king, You should have struck five or six times, and then you would have won complete victory over the Syrians. But now you will defeat them only three times. Let me give you some history in, for this scripture this morning. Joash was the 12th king of Israel. And like those before him, the Bible describes him as one who sinned against God. Okay, How would you like to have that reputation? One who sinned against God. So I wonder what would cause Joash to go to the bedside of Elisha. Did he know Elisha? We would assume so. The scriptures tell us that he wept over Elisha while he was dying. So apparently there was some kind of relationship there. So what was Joash looking for? What was he needing from Alasha? Just a couple of weeks ago, I was driving through Napa Valley, and I got a phone call from a young man named Sean Dar. Sean was in my youth ministry back in 2004. The last time I saw Sean was 2010. So here we are, 12 years removed. I've followed Sean online over and over, and I see the train wreck of his life that is before him. Okay? From one relationship to another, from one broken promise to another. Okay, and it's just this history that repeated itself over and over. And Sean called me. He says, P.E., Pastor Eric, P.E., I just need to talk to you. I said, So you really, Sean, you're calling me because you need a kick in the backside, right? He goes, Well, I, I recognize I need Jesus in my life. I said, So really, Sean, you're calling me because you know I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm a Gen Xer. And I'm from Pittsburgh. That's a dangerous mixture, okay? So I said to Sean, I said, Sean, I said, you know what you're supposed to do, son, okay? You see the direction that your life is heading, and now you have a 10-year-old son who you're responsible for. Where do you want to lead him to? And I shared this prophetic word. I said, Sean, your son is part of that. I said, you called me because you needed the same man who was willing to chase you on foot as you were riding your skateboard to fight a kid when you were 13 years of age in my youth ministry. I chased you down the street two miles to keep you from making a stupid mistake, and you're calling me now because you're needing that same conversation. I believe that this was the scenario in which Joash was needing to hear from Alasha, that the time is now to get our lives straight. This morning, if we're truly going to lead Generation Z toward the unconventional calling and anointing that God has placed upon their life, then we need to pick out a few key things that happen in this portion of Scripture. The first thing immediately, Alasha shows to Joash is this. It's about his power and not ours. It's about his power and not ours. I've heard that Singapore is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. The climate of this delightful city ranges from about 75 to 85 degrees year-round. Architecturally speaking, one cannot ask for more. Singapore is a very modern city. It is said that people of this city are friendly and very accommodating. If you were to visit the city of of Singapore and take a tour of the city, as you near the downtown area, you would notice large illuminated signs that say restricted area. It is here that this is the business district of the city inside this restricted area. This is a place where important decisions are made and millions of dollars change hands every few minutes. Zoning for this restricted area was granted by the city's civil engineers to avoid congested traffic in this extremely vital section of Singapore. A daily pass is required to enter if you want access to this restricted area. However, anyone is permission. How badly do you want to enter the restricted area? Okay. The question is, how badly do you want it? Spiritually speaking, church, there's a restricted zone as well. Okay. But regardless of skin color, nationality, or status in society, all human beings are candidates for entering into the kingdom of God. Any doctrine that would suggest otherwise is not biblically, it does not involve money or earning theological degrees from a claimed seminary. Submitting blood samples, enduring physical examinations, and visiting a consulate to acquire a visa are not necessary. The only stipulation for this is that you must be born again. The arms of the Lord are open and accepting to anyone who obey the gospel message. But once we enter the kingdom of God, we have to decide how close do we want to be to the king? How close do we want to be? Will we be content to live as subjects in vast domains, never having viewed the inside of the throne room? Or will we seek every opportunity to establish an intimate relationship with him? The kingdom of God is different from any other. People whose past are marked with infractions, regardless of how horrible they may be, are not prohibited from touching him, but we are given total and complete access to him. In this kingdom, Okay, with God, failure is not final. But failure can be used as a stepping stone to get to him. Let's look at David. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. When they learned that she was pregnant with his child, he conspired to have her husband killed. But David did not go out and hire a team of attorneys to represent him before the courts of the land. David did not seek to defend himself. David did not compare his sin with everyone else's sins in the land. Instead, he paid his debt. And after repenting and suffering the consequences for his sin, he committed His life to him and was merited a status that many of us should seek to have. David was known as a man after God's own heart. He cries out, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. God, against you I have sinned. He screams out to God, cast me not away from your presence. How can this be that an adulterer who committed murder would not be restricted from this kingdom? This is the unparalleled beauty of true remorse and true repentance. When we mess up, we can get up if we refuse to give up, okay? Our past cannot stop us. Excuses will not exonerate us, nor can Satan keep us from finding our place in the kingdom. But the ball lies in our court. Whether we will pursue our place in the kingdom or be pacified with our present scenario. How bad do we want to live for God How bad do we want to find our place in the kingdom? God God did not give up on David because David would not let go of God. Herein is the secret of David's restoration after his repentance. Psalm 42, 1 through 2. As a deer longs for streams of cold water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go and worship in your presence? David's cries was, I want you, God. I need you, God. I I hunger for more of you in my life, God. I thirst for more of you, God. David reached for the Lord with great desire in his heart. My question to you, church, this morning is how bad do you want it? How bad do you desire to be in his presence? How bad do you desire a better life than the life you have in this world? Unlike other sovereigns, only Jesus is accessible to all who desire his company. There are no appointments required or time restrictions imposed and frequently this king approaches us desiring our companionship let me ask you again how far do you desire to go with god how bad do you want his presence in your life the kingdom of god is not a horizontal plateau whereupon once we enter there remains no challenge to excel the word consistently challenges us to go higher with God and deeper in our relationship with him. The Bible often speaks of this is in dimensions that we get to excel to. His gates, his courts, his presence, the secret place of the most high. It talks about going from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. But it's up to everyone to find that privileged position and enter in. Jesus bids us to follow, but how far do we want to go? You need a blessing in your life? How bad do you want it? You need the solution to a problem that you're facing? How bad do you want it? You need the answer to a question in your mind? How bad do you want it? You need relief from a crisis that you're up against? How bad do you want it? You want to know the Lord on a greater level than ever before? How bad do you want it? You want the gift of the Holy Spirit? How bad do you want it? You want your loved ones to be saved? How bad do you want it? The world does not lack for heroes. Okay, we have plenty of them. Okay, With David, I meet them. Anthony Tolliver, Malcolm Brogdon, Chris Long, Miles Garrett, the list goes on. Jack Nicholas Jr., I'm standing. Doug Pitt, I'm like, oh my goodness, Doug, you look like Brad. You know? I'm like, have I seen you somewhere? Okay, like the world doesn't lack for heroes. But they're not making a positive difference in the condition of our world today. America is great today because of our heroes, the men, the women from yesterday who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. But even them, they're not the heroes that we need today. The heroes needed today are those who can find the presence of the Lord. The heroes needed today are those who seek to do great exploits in His name the hero's need today are those who know how to get his attention in their time of need. The heroes need today are those who will work for the Lord. The heroes need today are those who are not afraid of fasting and prayer. The heroes need today are those who can whisper a prayer that can change the course of a nation. Is there an Esther in this room this morning who will lay her life on the line for Generation Z, petition the king and spare this generation from annihilation? Is there an Abraham this morning who will stand between God and Generation Z and plead for their salvation? Is there a Joshua this morning who will stand against the crowd and say, as for me and my house and my children, we're gonna serve the Lord? Is there a Moses this morning in this room who says, I choose the Lord Jesus Christ and living for him, okay, beyond all the pleasures of this world and I'm gonna lead this generation to them? Are there marked men and women This morning who will cry out on behalf of this generation because of the plethora of things that are coming against them. I believe this is why Joash went to Elisha. He knew that he needed forgiveness so he could lead his children and that Elisha had the answer for his children. Is it possible, church, that we need to repent and return to our first love or declare to him our our, our loyalty for the first time ever because God's counting on you and I to get this right to lead this unconventional generation because it's about his power and not ours. The second thing we see is it's done through his anointing and not our ability. Notice Elisha's hands on the king's hands. This symbolizes God's miraculous assistance made available to us. This anointing from God comes on to joash as a human you can try shooting arrows all day long you can try leading generation z without the anointing and you won't hit anything but if you get full of the spirit church god will guide your efforts to success i don't think david was such a good shot that he was able to take a slingshot and a stone and hit a three-inch spot in the middle of goliath's head okay it was the anointing that was on David gave him the laser focus to shoot that stone through the air and take down the giant. The anointing provides understanding. Missionary Ludwig Nomanson spent two years living among the Batak people of Indonesia. He taught them Jesus' teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. The chief said, we too have laws which teach us not to steal, nor take our neighbor's wife, or lie. Nomanson said, but my God gives the power to keep those laws. The chief was startled. Can you teach my people that? For six months, Nomanson taught them about the Holy Spirit and the power of God. At the end of that time, the chief declared, your way is better than ours. Ours tells us what we ought to do, but your God says, come, I will walk with you and give you the inner strength to do the good thing. People see the difference in us because we're walking with the Holy Spirit. Let me prove it to you. Three months ago, I'm with David and John in Africa, okay? I find myself, David's dad, if you've ever heard John speak or talk to John, you know that when John tells you you're doing something, you're doing it, okay? It's just the way it happens. John says, hey, Eric, you're gonna go with me, okay? And we're gonna go see this village to where you helped us put in a water well. He goes, you're gonna ride with me and Akram, okay? I never met Akram ever before, Akram is the second richest guy in Africa. Okay, I'm like, again, one of these things is not like the other one. While well, we're driving down the road and we're having this conversation, Akram is a devout Muslim. Okay, We're conversing about the differences of Christianity versus Islam. He says, well, I know that you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and I believe that Jesus is a prophet, and you take offerings, and we take offerings too. We just call it something different, and we, do it. we also tithe. We just call it something different. He goes, our religions have many different perspectives, but what we can agree upon is that we both can come together to bring clean water to the people of Africa. I said, you're right, Akram. We can agree on that. So we go out to this village, and this was an area to where in the past we probably typically wouldn't have helped world serve out with a water well because it wasn't near the property of an assembly of god church okay that's, i promise you it's going to pay off trust me we're going to this well here so we go out we get out of our cars maasai tribes men and women are sitting there they honor they celebrate okay they present akram with a goat and i'm like akram just got a goat i'm like akram you got a goat he's like oh i get many goats like, okay you get many goats So after they do the whole presentation for us, Akram and I are walking away, and he goes, Eric, he goes, I have 10 more areas just like this one that needs clean water. If you would commit to raising these funds through Speed the Light to bring clean water to these 10 areas, I will allow the Tanzanian Assembly of God Church to put churches on every one of those properties. Why? Okay, because there's just something different. When you're activated by the power of the Holy Spirit to where even when people don't have the Holy Spirit in their own life, recognizes it and wants to be a part of it. Okay? Being filled with God's Spirit makes all the difference. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We need that power. If, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you, go after him today. The anointing provides understanding, and the anointing will show you opportunities. Alasha took the king to the open window facing the east. Then he helped the king shoot the arrow of victory out the window. The open window represents windows of opportunity. God was making opportunity happen for Joash. What is the opportunity? An opportunity is a set of circumstances that makes it possible for us to do something. God gave us that opportunity August 1st, 2018. When he spoke an unconventional word over this generation, God arranges the opportunities and sets up the season of access for those opportunities. It's up to us to grasp the opportunities and thrust ourselves. Into God's will before the window of opportunity closes. God opened the door. This is the wonderful advantage of working with the Holy Spirit. There are many instances of miracles that happened in the book of Acts because of the Holy Spirit. And God is still opening doors, moms, dads, grandmas, and grandpas to us today. Alasha could have chosen any window in that room. But he didn't. He chose a very specific one. He chose the window facing the east. He chose the window that led to victory. God could have chosen any generation, but he didn't. He chose Generation Z. Our job is to lead them through the power of his anointing. Okay? But we must believe, hear me, that he held multitudes without medicine. That he restored broken hearts without psychiatry that he never wrote a book but inspired more books than any other. He never wrote a song but inspired more songs than any all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college but has more students than any of the colleges in the world. He never marshaled an army but he has more soldiers willing to die for him than Napoleon, Caesars, all of them, and Alexander combined. Herod could not kill him. Satan could not seduce him. His enemies could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him. All creation cannot stop him. He He is the ever living, highest reigning Son of God, proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by demons. He is the risen King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, author unknown. It's not through our ability or our creativity that we can lead this generation to know who God is, it's through His anointing. It's not about His power. It's about his power, not ours. It's about his anointing, not our ability. And it's about his victory and not our legacy. I understand it for some of you in here this morning. It's been a hard word to hear. You hear the word legacy and you immediately think of all the things that you've done wrong. All the times that you've failed. I think of this. I do the same thing. I beat myself up over the things that my kids saw that I never thought they would see come from dad, the anger, the issues, all of those things. I wish my kids, I don't want that to be my legacy. You hear the word legacy, and it scares you. Might I remind you, however, that Joash was labeled as a man who sinned against God. He didn't have his life in order, but he knew a man who could remind him. He had a chance, a chance to erase that history and leave a legacy that would be one that would reflect God's power, God's anointing, and God's victory. But he chose not to keep striking. Why? Could it have been disbelief in himself? The memory of who he was? Striking the arrows on the ground represents the number of times battles Joash would defeat his enemies. Continual strikes represented the victories that would not only impact his life, but his children and their children and their children. But his relationship and his faith directly influenced the generations that would follow. God's controversy with us is not that we ask too much or expect too much, but that we do not ask enough and we don't expect enough. Our God is a big God and he can do big things. Joash missed a blessing because he stopped short. Now, let's turn to the tables. Let's talk about us. How bad do we desire to be in God's presence? How bad do we desire to find our place in the body of Christ? How bad do we desire to lead our children into this unconventional anointing? There are probably things that you desire in your life that you have not attained because you don't want them badly enough. There are probably spiritual desires that you might have, spiritual things that you have not attained yet because you have not desired them strongly enough. What would you do, and how would you conduct yourself if I told you that the next prayer that you prayed would bring the answer that you're looking for? The next prayer that you prayed would bring an end to your crisis. The next prayer that you prayed would bring a lasting effect upon the salvation of your sons or daughters. Would you, like Joash, just hit the ground a couple of times, or would you keep striking? Would you just... Pray a little prayer like you always had? Or would this prayer sound differently? Maybe your family hangs in the balance of the next prayer you're, you pray. Maybe the problems that you're having with your children would be solved with the next prayer that you pray. Maybe the spiritual breakthrough that you're waiting on will happen depending on the way that you pray. Maybe the power and presence of God in your life and the way you have des- desired, it depends on the way That you pray, maybe the salvation of the loved ones that you've been longing to see give their life to Jesus depends on the way that you pray. The time's now. Here's what drives me crazy. And I see it everywhere I go. We sing songs like what we sung this morning. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, right? God of Moses, God of Mary. Okay. Why haven't we put the names of our parents in that song? Why are we still relying on names from thousands of years ago? Parents, grandparents, wouldn't you rather have your children sing a song about your faith? About your faithfulness? About the miracles that happened through your hands? The time is now. That this generation sees the miraculous through our eyes, not Mary's. Through our hands, not Jacob's. Through our feet, not Moses' feet. The time is now, but we must return, repent, and renew our relationship with Jesus in such a way that his story is told in our families, in our workplace, in our cities, and across the globe. It's about his power and not ours. It's about his anointing and not our giftings and abilities. It's about his victory and not our legacy. Worship team, would you come? The biggest thing that God challenged me as I was preparing this word, I felt I was in my hotel room writing it. I couldn't get it right. I just couldn't get this. I spoke it for the first time last week in Alaska. I was supposed to be hanging out with the pastor all day long, and I said, please forgive me. I said, I, said, I can't come hang out with you. I just can't get this right. I, could, I just kept chewing on this. And, and to be honest with you, okay, conviction was rocking me in my hotel room. Because as pastors, it's really easy for us to get up here and for us to ask of you and not expect from ourselves. Okay? But it rocked me. Okay? When I thought about that, man, maybe I just need to return to my first love. Okay, I truly do desire for my kids to see the miraculous of God happen right now. I'm sick and tired of singing songs about it. I want to see it now. I want to see it in our churches, in our communities, and across the globe. Okay, and we get just a glimpse of it supporting ministries like World Service International. But really, really, hear me. What if in our own homes? Okay our children saw an attitude of holiness that would allow them an opportunity to see God at work in every single thing that we do. Okay? Like, we can come in buildings like this all day long. But if we leave unchanged, and it's just going through the motions. Okay? When was the last time? When was the last time you shared with somebody outside of your church building how important Jesus is to you? honestly, well, that's pastor's job. No. It's not his job. You're called to be ministers in your community, in your workplace, and across the globe. Okay. Our job is to give people an opportunity to understand that eternity is the end game and heaven is theirs to gain. But if we just continue to live for ourselves, then are we truly able to do so? For some of you in here this morning, You've never, ever given your life to Jesus. You've sat in church buildings. Maybe this is the first time. Maybe you're watching online. Okay. And let me tell you, there's a difference between salvation and declaring him Lord. I meet a lot of people. They say, we're saved. And yet their actions, their attitudes, and their words declare anything and everything else being their Lord than Jesus. Okay. Your actions, people need to see Jesus in the way that you act. People need to see Jesus in the way that you talk. People need to see Jesus in the way that you respond. Okay. It's declaring him Lord. And I I love it. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 10. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So let me just address that part with you this morning. So many times I grew up A.G. since I was 16 years of age. And we do this thing to where we go into this moment. We're like, okay, we're going to have this time of prayer. And if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then I want you to repeat this after me. Okay, that's not what Paul says. Paul says, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, declare him. That means have a little attitude about it. Okay, let people know it. I, I feel like so many times, like we've done things in such a private moment in our churches and we wonder why our people aren't living publicly for Him. Okay, God's looking for us to declare Him and this is a safe spot to do it. Okay, it's completely safe. But to do it that public, in such to do it that way in such a public way means that you allow everyone in this room to see you do it. That puts pressure on you. That's not so bad, is it? For our children to see us declare Jesus our Lord. Okay, for our children to recognize that our parents are just human. They mess up, they fall short. We do, I do all the time. It's not such a bad thing. Okay, this generation needs to see, okay, their parents and grandparents going after the God of Jacob again. Okay, going after the God of Moses again in everything that we do, every decision that we make, every action that we take, going after him with everything in us. That's what this generation needs from you and I today. They don't need need more sports. Okay, they don't need more activities. Okay, they need their parents to influence them in such a way that will bring them to the cross. And if we if we are truly going to play a part in leading this unconventional generation who God has promised has an unconventional anointing in their life, then you and I better get our acts together. Because if we don't, we waste the promise that God has placed upon our children. So in this room this morning, let me first talk to those of you. You'd say, "Hmm, Eric, I don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. Okay, like I, I, I may have tried it once or twice, but it's just not my thing. But this morning, man, the word that you're speaking is just really hitting me hard. And, and I really understand it now. I really get it. I get it. I'm not perfect. Okay, but neither was Joash. He wasn't perfect. I see that in the scripture. Neither was David. And if God could use them, he could use me. Okay, I would say this. Then the choice is yours to declare him Lord. It's a public Proclamation. Okay, it says in Romans 10 that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So if you're in this room this morning and you say, Eric, I need to make that declaration. When I get to three, one, two, three. When I get to three, I want you to stand to your feet and I want you to say out loud, I declare Jesus my Lord. Some of you are like, this dude's crazy. Listen, I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm in, in my zone, man. This is a steel belt. Like I know I can be straight. Here in this area. Now me doing this out in California, it's a little different. Okay. But I'm telling you, like shooting with you straight, the best thing you could do is declare him. Some of you have done this before and you need to do it again. You need to return. Renew. Repent. And go forward knowing that we're here on this earth to bring heaven to as many people as we can. Are you ready? Declare him. One, two. Three, stand to your feet. Say it. Come on. And sometimes what's difficult is I go to our churches and they're like, Aren't you the missions guy? I am. Okay, if we get this right, missions becomes very easy. Okay? So at this moment, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just open this altar up. Okay? For some of you, you're recognizing you, you, you're at that point to where I was in my hotel room last Saturday in Sitka, Alaska, to where I just fell to my knees crying out and asking Him to forgive me and renewing my commitment to Him that I'm gonna lead my kids differently, that people are gonna see something different in me, that I'm just not gonna call myself a Christian, I'm gonna be Christ like. Okay, so if that's you, I want to ask you right now, you can respond. Just come forward and fall to your knees if you're comfortable and just begin to ask him. Okay, because our churches, we've designated this area as the altar. The altar is where we go to allow things to die off of us, to where we sacrifice things. So will you join me this morning as I myself will come down and I want to ask God to continue to renew things in me, to to forgive me of things. I'm going to repent, ask him to forgive me of those things that, that keep me from drawing close to him. Would you join me this morning? Thank you, Jesus.